shield agent at Alexander Goodwin Pierce. I'm pleased to inform you that your intelligent priority code has been reactivated. They've asked you to resume your post. A shield's public director, effective immediately. Pierce, you're going to have to tell S.H.I.E.L.D. to shovel up their collective enzymes. They put me out to pasture five years ago. Didn't they brief you on that particular piece of intel? Sir. Sir, these orders come from the President himself. President? Yes, sir. Answer's the same. Now... Why don't you take your below dryer and get the hell out of my afternoon sun? Always a pleasure to see the old warhorse chewing out the troops. So they sent you too. Contessa? Contessa Valentino de Allegra Fontaine. Quite a mouthful when you try and wrap your tongue around it. But don't let the blue blood fool you, Pierce. Val's an old hand at the sexpionage game, aren't you? It's been a long time, Nick. You don't look any worse for wear. We need you back. Maybe I've gotten used to the wilderness. And maybe you're full of it. Hydra's back in the game now. Oh, that's impossible! Von Strucker's dead. I killed him myself. Yesterday, Hydra stormed Trinity Base. They stole Von Strucker's body, and they killed Clay in the process. Damn. I'm sorry about Clay, Nick, but it looks like Hydra's trying to send you a message. Looks like I heard it. Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. I'm one of your furious co-hosts, Perry Constantine. And I am the other furious co-host, Derek Ferguson. How you doing today, buddy? I am doing quite well, despite the weather. It's been raining for like two straight days over here in uh, Brooklyn, New York. But on the other hand, the weather's been like in the 50s. So it kind of balances out as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, the weather's been pretty... It's gotten a little chilly over here, but in the afternoon, it's still been warming up quite a bit. Like, I almost took my jacket off when I was leaving work yesterday. Oh, okay. But you guys don't wait a minute. Is it winter over there? Yeah, yeah. We're it? we're in the we're in the same um part of the world as same hemisphere as you are, so the um right. it's Australia is where it's summer now. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, so like yeah. the the southern hemisphere is where they have the where they got the season switched. Oh, okay. Okay, you can see geography is not my strong suit. <laughs> <laughs> well, even still, like when I first heard, I didn't even know about that until after I moved here. And then um, a buddy of mine who is also living here was from Australia, and he said he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm going home for Australia. I'm going to enjoy the 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 warm weather there." I'm like, "Oh, is it warm in Australia year round?" He's like, "No, it's summer there." And I'm like, "Oh." <laughs> 
<laughs> I know, right? Then you, know, ooh, you know, then you say, ooh, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> we can see who failed geography. Yeah, in exactly. <laughs> we can see which, whose school wasn't a big focus of geography. Exactly. In fact, I don't even think I had a geography class when I was in school. Uh, in elementary school. Yeah, yeah, I had geography. But, you know, once you get to junior high school and stuff like that, mm-hmm. that's when they start teaching you all the stuff that is not going to do you any good later on in life. <laughs> all right. Uh, so um, one of the things I've been looking forward to is I'm really psyched about the last episode of Watchmen coming on uh, tomorrow. Yes, me too. As a matter of fact, I actually have not because for some reason or another, I didn't watch the last two episodes. Oh so, so, my God, you're missing out on some big revelations. I know. But what I said I'm going to do is I said, well, you know what? I'm going to wait for tomorrow, and then I'm just going to binge watch the last two episodes, and then catch the season finale mm-hmm. uh, as well. Okay. So, uh, I, yeah, I I am looking forward to that because uh, this show so far, it has been a revelation as far as storytelling. Yeah. Go. You know, I I OK, this is something that I could see Alan Moore watching and saying, OK, somebody finally got it. You know what? I think at some point he's probably going to watch it and he's going to really like it, but he's not going to tell anybody about it. No. No, no, he's not going to say anything. Mm-hmm. He's not going to say, which is okay. Yeah, I mean, which is okay with me. But I think that he would appreciate what they're doing here. Like I said, he would say, "Okay, somebody finally got it." I mean, yeah. you know what I was with? Yeah, because it's because I mean, between that and crisis, oh my god, uh, crisis! Oh, was, I was about to mention that too. Yeah, I, that's been blowing me away. Seeing Brandon Routh as Superman again was amazing. Oh, man. you know. So I'm, I am so glad for him that he got another chance yeah. to do Superman his way. Yeah. Because I've always said to people that I didn't feel he got a fair shake in that movie because you could see hints of where if he had been allowed to play Superman the way he wanted to instead mm-hmm. of doing an imitation, I believe that he could have been one of the best Superman that we've ever had. Oh, hell yes, yeah. Uh, that's another movie we've yeah. got to cover at some point is Superman Returns. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we definitely we're going to cover Superman Returns. We're going to do Crisis in January yes. after the other two parts yes. have finished. We're going to do Watchmen after that. We're going to do the mm-hmm. first season after that's over. So you people have got a lot of good things to look forward to as far as what we're doing with, I mean, you know, on the TV front. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with Watchmen, I was Which thinking, I'm, because I know we talked about doing it, and but because there's so much packed into each episode, I wonder if maybe we should just split it up into like three episodes, each one covering um, three, ep- uh, you know, one episode covering three episodes of the series. Uh, yeah, well, if you want to do it that way, that, I think you know, just because there's so much to go in, there's so much to touch on in that. And just like even in three episodes alone, I think we'll we'll cr- we'll get like a good like two hour conversation out of it. Yeah, well, yeah, well, that's true because yeah, there is there is a tremendous amount. Like uh, somebody on there was somebody on Twitter. I don't know who it is. I wish I, I I could find the tweet so I could give them the proper credit. But they said that more happens in six episodes of Watchmen than in six seasons of other TV shows. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's unbelievable. And they and they are absolutely right. See, this is see this is what I talk about when I say to people, you know something because there's one thing that I really cannot stand. You ever had people tell you, you know, you're talking to them and it's some new series and you guys are talking back and forth and you uh-huh. saying, yeah, well, it's kind of slow and is this that? And they tell you, yeah, but you got to wait until season two or three. That's when it really gets good. Uh-huh. Why do I have to sit through a whole season or two of so-so mediocre TV to get to the good stuff? Yeah, I mean, I, I see your point there. I mean, I'm some it, depending on... On the show, I might be willing to try it, or at least when I was younger, I would have, because looking back on, like, the first season of Buffy, it does not hold up well at all. And when people have talked to me about it and they've they've been checking out the first season, they say, what's so good about this show? I don't get it. And I'm like, well, it doesn't really get good until season two when I think back in retrospect. But I also understand your point that it it's a lot to ask someone to to sit through 12 or even 24 episodes of something that they're not into. Oh, exactly. I mean, okay, if it's something like six episodes or even eight, mm-hmm. okay. I get, but when you're asking me to sit through more than eight, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, we're talking about a considerable chunk of time here that, you know, and I'm and I'm getting old. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know how much time I got left. I can't I can't be sitting there saying, okay, well, I'll wait till season three till it gets good. No, 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 no. It, you got to get me right from season one. If you, yeah. know, I can't tell you how many shows I've dropped. I, as a matter of fact, yesterday me and my wife started watching The Expanse mm-hmm. because I had heard so much about it. So we, so last night, you know, we're looking for something to watch. So my wife said, oh, I've heard about this show. Hey, I said, yeah. I said, people tell me it's pretty good. Let's start watching. We saw it by episode three. Psh, You're done. <laughs> I said, let's watch. I said, let's watch Green Eggs and Ham. <laughs> I did. And I turned it. We went to Netflix. I watched. I nope. It, it, listen, it wasn't engaging me. I wasn't feeling it. I was. It, it didn't capture my imagination. I'm out. I'm gone. See you later. Goodbye. And. Here's the good thing about technology now. Let's say it turns out that enough people get on me and say, oh, you didn't give it a chance, everything like mm-hmm. that. It's still there. I can go back and watch it. Right. If, you know, it's not like before when I was growing up during the dark ages where once the show went off the air, it was gone. You never mm-hmm. saw it again. Mm-hmm. And know. some stuff is still hard to get these days, like uh, today's movie, which is um pretty good segue and that's uh your pick which is the um 1997 i think it was uh yeah i'm pulling up the information on my computer now but it was during the 90s yeah it was 1998 there we go yeah it was it was the may 4 tv movie nick fury agent of shield starring believe it or not (laughs) david hasselhoff (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, now I say believe it or not, because whenever, okay, it was first broadcast on May 26, 1998 on Fox. When I say that David Hasselhoff starred in this movie, usually I get people either cursing me out mm-hmm. or they're laughing hysterically because they cannot conceive of David Hasselhoff playing Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. And I tell them, Okay, all you got to do is just watch the movie. And I'm gratified to say that there have been a number of people, many of them you and I know <laughs> online, who have watched this movie and they say, okay, Derek, you know something? 
I gotta admit, no, it's not a perfect movie. No, but yeah, you're right. It's a, and everybody says that it's a lot better than than a. It had a right to be, and b. It was better than what they thought it was going to be. Yeah, watching back, well, you know something that's interesting about this movie is it was written by David Goyer, who right. would went on, who went on to do the Blade trilogy, um, Batman Begins, and uh, Dark Knight, and uh, a bunch of other stuff too. He wrote the yeah. JSA comics for a little bit with um, uh, Jeff Johns as well, and uh, then he kind of shit the bed when he did Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. <laughs> Well, listen, every writer is entitled to mm-hmm. a couple of, uh, shall we say, clunkers. Yeah. But we are dealing with a man who does know his superheroes inside and out. And yes. with Nick Fury, yeah, he demonstrated that he know he knew Nick Fury inside and out because, mm-hmm. and, you know, and I watched it today. I, had, I haven't seen this movie and I, I, you know what, I was going crazy because I had this movie on DVD. Mm-hmm. Because they used to show it on one of the, uh, you know, one of the, uh, some movie channel mm-hmm. that I used to have years ago. And um, I burned the movie onto a DVD. I, I, I copied it to the DVR and then I burned it onto it. So I had it, but I couldn't find it. So I watched it today on YouTube. Thankfully, um, you provided a link where you can watch the movie where it's cut up into like 10 to 15 minute yeah. you know, segments, which actually, you know something? Kind of gave it the feel of being like a Saturday morning serial. You know what? I think they... I My theory is that the way they cut that up was they, they'd cut it up according to the commercial break. So that's why it all kind of fit together pretty well. Like, everything yeah. kind of moved nicely. Yeah. And so... I kind of like that aspect of it, watching it in little chunks like that. But this is a movie that I am firmly convinced, and I tell people this all the time, I'm firmly convinced either either uh, Hasselhoff, either Red Jim Steranko, Nick mm-hmm. Fury of S.H.I.E.L.D., or Goyer told him to read it. Yeah. And said that because, because this is what this movie is. This is Jim Steranko's mm-hmm. Nick Fury agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. I think it takes a little bit more from the 90s comics uh, than the Stranko stuff because there's not as much of the stylistic stuff that um, and like the kind of like because Stranko stuff was very epic Um, and there's a there's a lack of that here. This feels more like the when Fury was going up against the organization and, you know, butting heads with like bean counters and that kind of stuff, which was happening in um, I want to say Bob Harris's run, but I'm not 100 percent confident on that. But as far as Hasselhoff himself, like he definitely seems to be basing his portrayal on Steranko's portrayal of Fury and. You know, I I watched this came out when I was in um, junior high, I think, and or maybe high school actually. Now that I look at it, uh, but anyway, I remember watching this on TV at the time, and this was also a backdoor pilot for a potential TV show. And right. even even back then, I remember because I just started getting into comics around this time, and I'd known a little bit of stuff, but I hadn't read like Steranko's fury run but i knew who nick fury was i knew what shield was so and there were some things that kind of surprised me whereas you know they actually had a helicarrier in this i was not expecting that at all yeah i mean uh it's painfully obvious they didn't have much of a budget to work oh, with oh yeah yeah but 
They did the best they could. And as mm-hmm. a matter of fact, I actually think that the lack of a budget actually worked when it's something when it came to stuff like the Helicarrier. And I want to tell you why real quick. Okay, we got a movie, say like, oh, okay, um, you know, the Captain America movies. Mm-hmm. You know, the Winter Soldier and everything like that, where we have these helicarriers that are outrageously huge. Right. And they've got, like, tons of empty space inside of them that are perfect for having big fight scenes. Mm-hmm. But in the Nick Fury, um, okay, we have a helicarrier that it's an aircraft carrier that flies. Mm-hmm. And when they go inside of it, it's almost like a submarine. It's very tight. It's very cramped. Stuff is rusted. Yeah. It looks like, it, you know, I love the look of it because it looks functional. It doesn't look like a movie set like the helicarriers do in the Avengers and in the mm-hmm. Captain America movie. I mean, you know, they look like, you know, uh, starships. Right. You know, but in the Nick Fury movie, this thing looks functional. Yeah. You know, you know, I'm looking at it and I say, yeah, you know what? This works because mm-hmm. it's tight, it's cramped, people are bumping in each other as they go through the hallways. You know, they got little small control panels. It's not these big glittery control panels. You know, everything on this thing is functional. Mm-hmm. Which works for me. I don't know. Maybe it might not work for other people. But I actually said, okay, you know what? This thing looks, it actually looks more realistic in function than the helicarriers we see in the MCU movies. Well, it also fits with what's happening in the story because you have this thing where the new director of Shield is um, you know, Jack Pincer who's, you know, more of a more of a penny pincher, so there's there's this whole issue about Shield's funding and like its place in the world in a in a post-Cold War era and all that kind of stuff. So this the helicarrier having that kind of lived in feel and being more of a relic of the cold war itself really fits into what the movie's trying to do whereas in the in the avengers you know shield is a much more modern organization they've got more of a global mandate um so they they got a whole lot more stuff behind them whereas this one shield is being almost on the verge of being downsized yeah, yes, being downsized. And, uh, and I'm glad you brought up that character of Jack Pinter because it's kind of interesting. It goes back to what you said that uh, this version also bar- also borrows from another era of Nick Fury as S.H.I.E.L.D. in that it's very plainly um, situated that Nick Fury is what they call the public director. Mm-hmm. So in other words, he's the one that everybody knows, and you know, if I say, "Oh yeah, he's running thing," but then you have this other guy, Jack Pincer, who's kind of like the administrative director, right? You know, he's running the administration. Nick Fury is more like the guy that goes out there and he's on the front lines and he's in the field and he's directing like the military aspects. Yeah, a military. A military director would probably be a more apt description of his function. He's the military director of Shield, where mm-hmm. this other guy is the administrative, you know, director. And that, like you said, he's the bean counter. He's the one that actually has to go to Congress and he has to, you know, explain why Shield does what they do while Nick is out there on the front lines fighting Hydra and, you know, the Red Skull and whoever. Mm-hmm. So what were your opinions uh when you first saw this movie? Did you because I, I know you're you're a Stranko fan from way back. So, 
were you disappointed at all in it? Were you were you really pleased with it? Uh, and how how did that compare to your opinions now? I was pleased because, like I said, you know what? I didn't expect much mm-hmm. from this movie, which is why I'm like most people that see it say, you know, something. It's better than they had a right to be because, yeah. for one, I'm not a I am not a big David Hasselhoff fan. I got nothing against him, but. You know, the guy never did nothing for me. I, Unlike a lot of my friends, I was not a fan of Knight Rider because I found the whole concept of a talking car utterly and totally stupid beyond words. <laughs> you know, really. Now, I mean, a talking car where, oh, man, oh, man, that's cool. A talking car. Wait a minute. Batman didn't talk to the Batmobile. The Green Hornet did not talk to the Black Beauty. Speed Racers did not talk to the Mach 5. They didn't need talking cars. Yeah. No, I don't need talking cars. However, let me say something about David Hasselhoff. And this is why I think a lot of times remakes don't work and the remake of Knight Rider didn't work. Because you need certain actors to pull off certain concepts. Mm-hmm. And David Hasselhoff made you believe he had a relationship with this car. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, that's the magic that he was able to work in that role, which is why people still love it to this day, I think. Um, and in this movie, he convinced me that he was Nick Fury. Against all of my misgivings, he did convince me that he was Nick Fury. I mean, there, there are scenes in this movie, especially when he gets in the black leather outfit and he's got the guns and everything like that. The guy looks like a Steranko drawing of Nick Fury. Oh yeah, there's some uh, there's some stills from here. Like there's one of my favorite ones. It's like a recreation of I think it's think it's either Steranko or or Lee Weeks, but it's this very famous image of Fury sta- holding his gun up and like peering around a corner. And uh-huh. there's a photo online of Hasselhoff recreating that image, and it looks perfect. Yeah, yeah, and I mean. He gets the attitude of the character right. Mm-hmm. There's hardly a scene where he goes through here where he doesn't have the cigar stuck in his mouth, just yeah. like Nick Fury does in the comic books. You know, Nick Fury, it doesn't matter what he's doing. He's got that cigar stuck in his mouth. Mm-hmm. And for most of the movie, yeah, Hasselhoff goes and he's got that cigar stuck in his mouth. Mm-hmm. And um, you have all of these other characters that are brought in. Dum uh, Dum Dugan. Mm-hmm. Gabe Jones, who we know, of course, they were his partners from the Howling Commandos. They don't make any mention of that. And as a matter of fact, his World War II history is left out of this, which I kind of go along with. I That doesn't because, surprise me at all. My whole thing is I believe that if they had gone to series with this, they would have just had him as a Cold War vet as opposed to being a World War II vet. Right, yeah. Yeah, because you know something weird too far. And as a matter of fact, that was one of my problems in the comic books because there was a Howard Chaykin story where uh, it was revealed that Nick Fury was getting regular inoculations of something called the Infinity Formula yeah. that was keeping him young, which I hated. A lot of my friends said, oh man, that's so cool that, well, it explains why he's a. He, which to me, part of the charm and appeal of Nick Fury was that he was a guy that was able to hold his own and survive mm-hmm. and even be successful in a world with super soldiers and Iron Men and Asgardian gods simply because he was this old, tough son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. 
he was the toughest cat that was on the planet who wasn't a superhuman. You know, to me, that was the whole thing about Nick Fury. Now, when you go and give him this infinity formula that makes him young and immortal and stuff like that, you know, I don't know. For me, it kind of takes away from the specialness of the character of what made him so unique. And and what a lot of people don't remember about Nick Fury was that he was like the only character at one time that we saw him in two different time periods. Mm-hmm. You had the comic book Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, which was about Nick and his wartime adventures, you know, leading the commando unit. And then you had Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., where it's 20 years later and he's this James Bond, a super spy. Right. You know... So Nick Fury was a very unique character, and, and to me, he re- to me he remained so for that reason. They uh, they also had had it gave them as he got older. The Infinity Formula gave them another issue, whereas a lot of his World War II buddies were now working with him in Shield. So you had like Gabe Jones, you had Dugan working with him in Shield, and so then they had to say, oh well, we're giving them the infor- Infinity Formula too. Right, yeah. Which I mean, you know, kind of detracts yeah. from it being a special thing then. Yeah, see, after a while, then it becomes, you know, ridiculous. Because then, yeah, now you got to explain, which is why I'm with you. I think that it was a good move for them to just, in this movie, just make him, you know, okay, well, he's a veteran of the Cold War. Maybe he was in Vietnam because it was the 90s, and it was still wasn't too, you know, or make him, or... Um, like what they did for Iron Man. Mm-hmm. They did in his first movie. They updated it, and uh, when he had his accident, when he got trapped on in his vest, he was in Afghanistan. Yeah, or um, the, the Punisher. Both the, um, the, uh, the Tom Jane version and the recent Netflix version with John Barenthal, they, you know, they made him an Iraq War veteran instead. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's what you got to do. You got to, you know, and I don't have a problem with that. I don't have I don't have a problem sliding these characters along. I mean, you know, the timeline Mm -hmm. so that uh, they stay relevant and they stay young. And so we don't have to keep constantly explaining why this 80 year old man with Captain America. It's a different thing. Okay, he's got the super soldier thing. Okay, we can buy that. And this whole thing is he was frozen in ice. So. His whole man out of time aspect, you don't need him to have fought in a recent war to make that work. Exactly. In fact, you know, but in some ways, the, the out of the out of man out of time thing works better the more that he's separated from World War II. Because, you know, in the in the comics, it had only been like what, twenty years that he'd been frozen as ice? That's not that's one thing, but and yeah, the world was different in the post-war era, but not as different as, you know, him waking up in um, 2010. Right, because when Captain America, when they brought him back, it was the 1960s. Mm -hmm. Okay? World War II wasn't that far away for most people. Right, I mean, you know, you you had Reed Richards and Ben Grimm, they were World War II veterans. Exactly, and matter of fact, there were stories where they had met Captain America and they had met Nick Fury during World War II. You right. know, they were no secret missions and stuff like that. You know, because I think Ben Grimm was a, I think he was a fighter pilot, and Reed Richards he was working for, um, what the organization? Uh, uh, um, wait a minute, I know it, I noticed the OSS. Right. Yeah. Which is what eventually became the CIA. 
you yeah. know, read work for them. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So the 1960s was not that far removed from World War II. I mean, you had men who had fought in World War mm-hmm. II, you know, that the company. So, yeah, having that time shift for Captain America, that wasn't too jarring. And like it, you said, it now, also wasn't really. Like I don't, I don't know for sure because I wasn't, I'm not Stan Lee, but I don't think he really did it with the thought of, you know, doing the man out of time thing. I think that just kind of happened. He just wanted an explanation for why nobody had, why Captain America had been quiet all these years. Right. Well, you know, I think that actually, as uh, Captain America progressed, I think that they really made a big deal out of it, starting around like the 1970s. Mm-hmm. But that's when Captain America's stories got a little bit more political, which was what was going on as far as, you know, uh, there was urban unrest. Right. There was mistrust of the government. You know, all that stuff was going on. So, of course, the Captain America stories, they reflected that as well. And right. He Watergate, was like, the, the Pentagon Papers, all that stuff. Right. So, yeah. So having Cap as this kind of figure, and like a symbol of the old America and like the public's old attitude about America and like how it had drastically shifted. It worked really well. Yeah. Which is which to me is what Captain America is supposed to be. Which, right. Which is another reason why I really get hot up under the collar when people say, oh, comic books, they're not supposed to be political. Superheroes are not supposed to be political. Well, what the hell do you think Captain America is? I, Jack Kirby was getting death threats from American Nazis when he was yeah, when he created oh the character. God. I mean, people I don't mean, realize this because they think now, well, yeah, it's Captain America punching out Hitler. That's no big deal. It was a huge deal back then because of course it was. We yeah. weren't at war yet back then, so you have a comic book where your superhero is punching out a world leader, a world leader that actually had a lot of support in the U.S. at the time, which a lot of people don't like to acknowledge anymore. But yeah, but <laughs> that'd be like you, you do a comic today where you show, um, where you show Captain America punching out. I don't even know who, but at this point it probably wouldn't be that surprising. But it would be very controversial. People have to remember. And, and folks, Perry and I are not making this stuff up. You mm-hmm. go online. You, most of you on your computers all day long anyway. So <laughs> look at go look up some history for a change instead of bitching about, oh, yeah, well, this ain't like this and this ain't like this. The Nazi Party and the Ku Klux Klan were having parades in Washington, D.C. Yeah. They had a, the Nazis had a big rally at Madison Square Garden, I at believe. At Madison Square Garden, for God's sake. Yeah. yeah. And in fact, so, there was – if you go back and if you – read like old Captain America back issues. Like I the problem one of the problems with the graphic novels is they don't reproduce the letters columns. But you go back, you read those old issues around that were being printed in the 70s and the 80s, you read those letter columns. Oh my God. You think people yeah. are bitching about politics and comics now? Go back then. <laughs> Look at all the yeah. hate mail that they had printed when Falcon replaced Hawkeye in the Avengers. Oh my God. Yeah. There were yeah. There were tons of letters talking about political correctness run amok. And now pe- people are saying that comics are too political now. You know, comics these days are not even close to being as political as they were then. Not even as close to being political as when they were. Do you I remember, as a matter of fact, I remember the backlash 
that Marvel got when they had their whole Secret Empire storyline. And at the end of the, uh, and, and at the end of it, the villain of the piece was Richard Nixon. Yeah, I mean, they never came right out and said it was Nixon, but it was obviously hinted yeah. that it was Nixon. Oh yeah, well of course it was. Yeah, I mean, if you read between the lines. Marvel got a huge backlash because of that. They didn't oh, yeah. show his face. They didn't show his face, but because of the dialogue and stuff like that. Yeah, you knew and the expression on Captain America's face because he said, oh my God, you, why you, you know. But yeah, and they got a huge backlash because of that. Well, you remember but, in the 80s during, I think it was during Grunewald's run when he was the captain and one of these one of these issues they had the president being transformed into a reptile by the serpent society and the cover shows this on the cover you've got ronald reagan as a as a as a reptilian monster and the the front cover copy says the the most terrifying snake of them all yeah and you're telling me that wasn't political come on yeah yeah, I mean, com- I mean, you know, yeah, comics were, comics were very political at one time, and like you say, you're you're one hundred percent on the note. People bitch and moan and whine about comics being political now. They are nowhere near as political mm-hmm. as they once were. Well, it's like I said when we were talking about uh, the Watchmen movie, that one meme where the guys, the guy says, you know, I don't, I like po- comics, but I don't like them being so political. By the way, my favorite comics are X Men and Watchmen, two of the most political <laughs> comics ever made. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So I mean, it's just, but that's a whole other episode that we could take up <laughs> easily two hours talk about politics in comic books yeah as a matter of fact you know what make a note of that oh my god there have been <laughs> gonna, there have been tons you go on amazon you look at if you look up some of the the different types of academic books that have been written about comics you'll there's a whole genre of ju- of textbooks and essays focused just on politics in comics throughout history yeah I mean, look. I mean, look at Howard the Duck. Howard the Duck was social satire that oh, dealt yeah. in politics for a time when Howard ran for president. Yeah. Well, you go back to the the Superman comics way back when during the Great Depression, they were all about social consciousness and social justice. That's all it was. Superman wasn't fighting supervillains. He was fighting the fat cats and slum lords. He was fighting, you know, uh, you know anybody. That was a target of the time that was, um, how can I put this without getting vulgar, without fucking over the people, let me just say, (laughs) you know, that's what Superman was fighting. Exactly. Yeah. He was holding rich guys out the window or throwing them off rooftops and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. You know, union busters, he was throwing them in front of trains and stuff. You know, the... I don't know. I despair sometimes, Perry, because the ignorance of people who claim that comics is their hobby and they'll go on and on about how they love it and, oh, they know all about it. But the depth of their ignorance exactly. continually staggers me. Oh, yeah. Because I say, no, you don't know what you're talking about. You really Absolutely. don't. If, Absolutely. You know, if, if you say that comic books aren't political, <laughs> they <laughs> certainly are. <laughs> All right, so now let's get back to Nick Fury. <laughs> um, but this movie... Oh, yeah, that's right, Nick Fury. Yeah, that's what he's <laughs> supposed <Yeah>. to do. <laughs> uh, it gets like this. It does, it gets yeah, like yeah. This. 
You just gotta roll with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just roll with it, folks. We will get to where we're going eventually. Yeah, just hang yeah. on. Okay. <laughs> so going back to Nick Fury. <laughs> so a we're lot of we... the so we were talking about the the set design and the aesthetics of all that, and um, and uh, actually, what you were talking about about Nick Fury and being <clears> alive <throat> in the modern day. I don't know if you know anything, but. Several years back, Marvel did uh, an event called Original Sin, I think it was, which and it showed kind of it was kind of like the last Nick Fury story. And it showed that the Infinity Formula had really not done such a good job of keeping him young and it kind of like uh-huh. deteriorated his mind. So he was actually using there were like a series of LMDs that he was sending out. But the real Nick Fury was like this really old guy. And there was one scene where. Dugan comes to him and he says, like, I don't know what you're talking about. I took the Infinity Formula. I'm fine. And then Fury says to him, he's like, no, Dugan, you're not fine. And he shows him there's this bay of all these Dugan LMDs. And Fury has just been transferring his consciousness into successive ones as he dies. Oh, that's messed up. It was pretty messed up. But it was also, like, that story, it it started off really strong. It kind of went off the rails. But I kind of liked how they explained away the Infinity Formula stuff and how they kind of updated things like that. And That's the one where the Watcher gets killed, right? Right, that one, yeah. Yeah, see, see, there's one reason why, I mean... He's a watcher, for mm-hmm. goodness sake. You can't kill a watcher. You know, that's... Yeah, but I do remember hearing something about that storyline. It was supposed to be Nick Fury took over being a watcher or something like that. It was something like that. I can't remember all the details. It's been a long time since I read it. But it, it was one okay. of those stories that started off really strong. Like, the whole idea of who killed the watcher and stole his eye. Like, that mystery, like, it, it really intrigued me. But as it went on, it just kind of got... Meh. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was really See, disappointing because yeah. that was Jason Aaron wrote that, and he's usually turned out some really awesome stuff. So okay, so that was a little bit disappointing. But I I kind of like some of the stuff they did with Fury, and now to the point you were making about how Fury is this normal guy who's able to hang with super soldiers and thunder gods and you know billionaire philanthropists in flying armor. They introduced Nick Fury Jr who is um, Nick Fury's long-lost son. and Black, of course. Black, of course, yeah. He has a black mother. Nick Fury was his white father. So, of course, he bears a striking resemblance to Samuel L. Jackson. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) But you know what? And... Now they've got that. They've got they've gotten back to that idea of Fury just being this normal guy in a world of superheroes. Yeah. So they do... Which is... it, it, It was a pretty, like... Part of me when when they when they did that I rolled my eyes a little bit. I'm just like, come on, Nick Fury Jr. But it actually did end up working out in the end, I think. Well, I guess after a while they just dropped the junior and just started calling him Nick Fury. Pretty right? much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I figured it. Hey, you know something? I don't have a problem with that. Like people were saying to me, they were saying, you know, because as you know, me and you've had discussions about this. I have discussions with other people about it. Uh I'm not interested in seeing a black Superman. Mm-hmm. You know, there's certain characters that I don't believe that just because you give them a deep, dark tan, that doesn't make them black characters. Right. You know, but I did have a problem with Nick with Nick Fury being black because as, as originally conceived, the black Nick Fury was for an alternate universe. Right. You know, the ultimates, you know. So, uh, which I felt did restore him 
to his unique status because, as I said earlier, to me, that that's the whole thing about Nick Fury. He's just the toughest son of a bitch on the planet who's not a superhuman. Right. And you know, you know what? If you're going to have the toughest son of a bitch on the planet who's not a superhuman, who else are you going to get to play him but Samuel L. Jackson? Well, there you go. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you need somebody that can convince you that he can go toe to toe with Captain America and Iron Man and Thor. Right. And they'll respect him and they'll listen to him. And who else? Yeah, exactly. Who else you going to get success? They if they were going to get a white actor to play Nick Fury now, I really can't think of anybody who who have that same kind of gravitas. Well, maybe Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell would be really good because, I mean, he practically played Nick Fury in uh, Escape from New York anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know who I'm thinking of is Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Oh, yeah. With the, yeah, Bingo. There we go. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah. He, could do, he could do that role in his sleep. But that, no doubt. That actually brings up an, uh, a cool point about this movie is that, like, unlike you, I was a huge Knight Rider fan because Knight Rider was on the air when I was a when I was a little kid. So it was like crack to me. I mean, you got a talking car that fights crime. You know, of course, I'm going to as a little kid. That's that's <laughs> incredible. Well, see, that's another thing. When Knight Rider came on the air, I was of a certain age. Right. And I think that you have I. I don't know. Some people say I'm full of shit, but I honestly think that you have to catch certain programs, a certain movies at a certain age for them to work for you. Like for me, I never got the Goonies. Mm-hmm. But then again, I was an adult when I saw the Goonies, so it didn't work for me. It didn't resonate for me like it did for certain people. There's there's this other picture, other movie. What is it? The Monster Club? Monster Squad. Monster Squad, yeah, I never got that, mm-hmm. but I've got friends of mine that worship that movie. You know, the Lost Boys. I the Lost got, Boys. Yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna mention that because Lost Boys never really grabbed me either. Be, but you know what? I didn't see that movie until I was probably in high school, maybe, maybe even college. And yeah. by that point, back in, back when Lost Boys came out, it was revolutionary because they'd never had that reimagination of the vampire is this kind of like punk outlaw type like the vampire was always like this aristocratic old old blood type european type of thing so right right so reimagining and also you know interview with the vampire too the the books even though the movie came out later but Mm -hmm. the but the idea of vampire as like rebellious (laughs) punk that thing that was a total new idea when lost boys came out and it spoke to a whole generation of people who were in that place in their life because the 80s it was you know very much steeped in Reagan era conservatism and all that so that idea spoke to a lot of people but me i grew i started watching buffy when i was like in 8th grade so i had already seen like the rebellious vampire thing i had gotten used to it so when i saw lost boys i'm like what's so special about this yeah yeah you know it didn't it didn't do anything for me. And as far as Knight Rider went, see, when I was a kid, there was a cartoon called Speed Buggy. Mm-hmm. And Speed Buggy was about this dune buggy that could talk. It was oh, a okay. sentient. Yeah. It came out during that era. It came out during that era when Scooby Doo was real big. So there was a lot of knockoffs of that concept. And Speed uh, okay. Buggy. And Speed Buggy was a Doom Buggy 
that had these uh, one guy was the mechanic, looked just like Shaggy, and there was a pretty girl, and then there was the driver, and they went around solving mysteries and going to races and stuff like that. So when I saw Knight Rider, I just took it as a grown-up version of Speed Buggy. That's mm-hmm. why it never did anything, you know, for me. But yeah, but uh, but I know a lot of people, they loved it, they worshipped it and stuff like that, and you know, I said, okay, well, whatever. You well, you know, know. The, you know but, the urban legend about how Knight Rider started, right? What's that? That the, the producer came up with the idea and he said, well, look, let's do a TV show where we get this really handsome actor and we give him a talking car. That way, all the heavy acting can be done by the guy who voices the car and the actor can just sit there and look pretty. Mm, okay, <laughs> I can see that. Which seems to have worked because you did have um, William Daniels doing the voice of Kit, which was perfect choice and then end up later being Mr. Feeney on Boy Meets World. Right, which is where I knew him from, you mm-hmm. know, primarily. I know him from that and from the musical 1776. Yeah, but, yeah, I remember seeing that in history class. Oh, I love that movie. Got on Blu-ray. I watch it even when it's not <laughs> I watch it when it's not the 4th of July. Um, but and I also think that Okay, you had the 1980s, which is when Knight Rider, you know, was really big. Yeah. The 1970s and the 1980s was a unique period of history where only certain things could exist that mm-hmm. could never exist in any other time period in American mm-hmm. history. Trust me, <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like the nightmare on Elm Street. Okay, Freddy Krueger is a molester and killer of children. Mm-hmm. Now, this was a guy who was a cultural icon during the 1980s, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. Well, it's People like, don't... I mean, we talked about this idea before, but I remember when I was a kid, you had... They were making TV shows out of R-rated movies. <laughs> Kids' yeah. Saturday morning cartoon shows out of RoboCop and Rambo. And, Ra- yeah, Rambo was a cartoon character. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean... So you had these certain concepts that could only exist at certain periods of his, and Knight Rider, I think, is one of them. Which is why, because I remember that they tried to reboot it, or tried to, you know, they tried to remake it, and it didn't work. I think it yeah. lasted maybe like a season. Yeah, it was one yeah. season, um, and I think it was actually like cut short before the end of the first season. But and part of the reason is that the show kind of got off on the wrong foot. Um, I, I like I like the show. It was it was not perfect, but I think. Part of the problem is you have with a show like Knight Rider, you've got to please two masters, right? You've got to please people who remember the the '80s show, which, looking back, it was it was kind of campy and cheesy, and it, you know, but that kind of style doesn't fit so much with today's modern viewer. So you're trying to appeal to, so you had the people who were, um, it wasn't cheesy enough for the people who wanted, who were after the nostalgia factor, and it wasn't serious enough for the modern day TV viewer. Yeah, because the whole 80s, the 1970s and 1980s, it was a whole style and sensibility mm. that simply does not exist anymore. Right. Which is why there are certain things that I feel are best left back then. Not because I've got this rabid hatred of remakes and everything like that. But if you don't have that sensibility, if you don't have that mindset, you can't go back and make it what it once was. You 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 have to make it something else simply mm-hmm. because 
the country does not have that consciousness anymore. I mean, like, there's a lot of things that we laughed at and we thought was cute and we thought was funny back in the 1980s and everything like that. They don't fly today. Right. They don't. People say, oh, well, I can't watch that. You know, that's racist. That's sexist. Mm. That's, you know, but like I tell people all the time, one of my favorite stories to tell people is when I saw Blazing Saddles in the theater. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I tell people that they say, oh, my God, well, what happened? What happened? I said, people went and they laughed, white and black. (laughs) Believe me, race flies did not break out because, you know, they said the N-word on screen. Mm -hmm. Black people and white people together sitting in the theater together, and they laughed about it. Mm -hmm. And they left out the theater and they went home after having a satisfying experience. What does that prove? I don't know. I just all, all the time use that as an example that people think that for some reason now is certain things that you say or do is going to cause a riot to break out. Mm-hmm. And this, such is simply not the case. And for what is supposed to be a discussion about a simple TV B movie, we've already got into politics. <laughs> twice, <laughs> twice we got on this track. <laughs> you see, people, you get a lot more for your buck than you thought you was going to get with this podcast. The Nick Fury episode where we don't talk about Nick Fury. <laughs> well, we don't talk about Nick Fury at all. <laughs> but, uh, so I, I came to it. What, knowing David Hasselhoff from Knight Rider, and you know, I had fond memories of that. And I remember because I think, yeah, so the people on the internet they were saying they were kind of like mocking the idea of David Hasselhoff playing Nick Fury. And I didn't really have too much of an opinion of it one way or the other. I had like kind of vague memories of Knight Rider, but that was about it. So when I watched it, I'm like, oh, you know, he's not bad. And watching it again last night, he. I'm I'm kind of surprised actually because he not only does he look the part like he looks like he stepped right out of a Steranko comic. The only thing he's missing is the is the blue jumpsuit and the white temples and that's it. Like everything else it's like vintage Steranko. Yeah, there's a scene where you know after he's talked to his old buddies and you know mm. they talked them into coming back in the shit because when the movie starts out uh something has happened he was kicked out of shield five years ago and he's living in a mine someplace yeah. in the yukon for mm. some reason so uh Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine mm-hmm. boy I can't believe I got that right played by Lisa Renner comes to get him and say, listen, you got to come back because Hydra, because Nick Fury thought that he destroyed Hydra five years ago, mm-hmm. but they are coming back in the form of the son and daughter of his most hated enemy, Baron Wolfgang von Strucker. Yeah, so and the kids, the, his, the Strucker children, they kind of combine, they're kind of like a pastiche of a few different characters. So you've got Andrea von Strucker, who is kind of merged with the character of Viper, who is also yeah. Madame Hydra in the they comics. They call her Viper in They call movie. her Viper, yeah. They call her, She's at first she's called, you know, von Strucker, and then like halfway through the movie, they start calling her Viper. Um, and then you've got her, her brother, um, Werner, who in the comics, Werner von Strucker was her older brother, and her twin brother was Andreas, and together they were both mutants, and they were known as Fenris. Right, right. So you kind of got the, there's like this mix of characters and concepts together to try and create them. Um, 
And then you also had uh, you had a bunch of the characters from a bunch of the supporting characters from the Agent of Shield comics. Like you had Val, you had Dum Dum Dugan, who was I was kind of surprised they had him in there. I wasn't expecting him to be in there. Um, Gabe yeah, Jones, yeah, have, Clay Quartermain, well, um, Alexander Pierce, uh, Kate, Kate Neville, Neville, yeah, Kate Neville. Um, what's her name? The other Gail Runciter. Oh, she was part of it too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a shield yeah. agent in the comics. Yeah, uh huh. Yeah, Gail Runciter is in there. Um, yeah, I mean, that's another thing that I like about this movie is that when you're watching it, you're hearing all of these names that you know from the comic book, and I'm saying, okay, wow, Alexander Pierce, yeah, I know him. Mm-hmm. Okay, Kate Neville, yeah, I know him. You know, Dum Dum and Gabriel John and Clay Quartermain. You know, mm-hmm. who, you know, I mean, it's all of these names. Like I said, I don't know. I'm pretty sure the whole tone of this movie comes from Goya, who knows his comic books inside and out. And yeah. speaking of tone, I was saying something on Facebook uh, early on today to Lucas Garrett that I was watching it today and it really struck me that, you know something, this is a movie that in in the feel of it and the tone and the pacing and everything is really not that far from the MCU movies that we have now. No, not really. I mean, I think it's just, there are some things like I, I think it mostly comes down to, it comes down to two things. It comes down to dialogue and it comes down to, um, design. Like you were talking about earlier with the, with the look of the helicarrier and all that. And, Mm. and yeah, the leather costumes and all that, like they're, they're okay, but they they're they're not like the kind of leather costumes that you see Samuel L. Jackson walking around in. Oh um, no, no, well, of course not. And also, but also the the big weakness for this is well, there are two. One is um, Sandra Hess as Viper. <laughs> I always get into the. I always get into this with people. Nobody likes her except for me. I like her. <laughs> I do. You know why? Because she. Okay, is she over the top? Yes. Does she wildly overact? Yes, she does. She go. There's a scene where she kills this guy, and I guess she's supposed to be having an orgasm while she <laughs> kills the guy. Yeah. It's like downright laughable, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, but the woman throws herself into it with such abandon. I can't help but admire <laughs> her willing her willingness to go so far over the top, you mm-hmm. know. And and considering that everybody else pretty much plays this movie straight. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody else acts like they're really in a serious, you know, um, you know, down and dirty spy thriller, really. Yeah. Yeah, you know, she yeah, she kind of stands out because she's more like over the top, and she's more she is more, for lack of a better term, she's more of a comic book villain. Especially in that that dress she wears in the at the climax of the film. Oh my god! With like That's the high Dracula ass collar. <laughs> the yeah, fuck was and that? I love how she and I love how she gives the scene like a little hint of incest mm-hmm. with her father. Oh god, that was that creeped the hell out of me. Yeah, 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 yeah. You look at it, you go, ooh, you know. Just, but- I was just watching the movie, and I, I did not remember that from the original. Like, I remember Strucker came back at the end, but I didn't remember just how gross it was. And just watching yeah, it again yeah. last night, I'm just like, oh, God, I think I'm going to throw up. 
Yeah, yeah. But this is what I'm saying. That's what, what yes, I understand what people are talking about when they're saying that she's wildly overacting and mm-hmm. you know, it's just too much. I don't know. I say, you know what? If you're gonna swing for the fences, go ahead and swing, baby. And it's I weird because it, it's like it's like you got a Roger Moore Bond villain wandered into one of the early Sean Connery Bond films. <laughs> Bingo. You just hit on it. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. She's a she's a villain from the Roger Moore Bond era in a Sean Connery yeah. movie. Yeah. yeah. And not not the later yeah. Sean Connery movies, the, the early ones when they took themselves really seriously. Yeah, we're talking about from Russia with Love and Goldfinger. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But but I don't know. For me, it were, yeah, do I laugh at some of it? Of course I laugh at some of it. But that's okay, too. I mean, because, uh, listen, I don't take this seriously anyway. I take it as entertainment. But I look, f- but overall, when I look at the package of everything that they got right, and I'm mm-hmm. that type of person, they get so much right in this movie that the couple of things they get wrong, I can overlook it because there's so much that they get right here. Yeah, there's some stuff where some of the dialogue, though, in this is is pretty bad. That that's the one thing that really stands out to me rewatching it. Like I, I'm most of, with the exception of Hess, um, I, I, I the performances are pretty pretty much fine. The plot is is fine. It's pretty standard, you know, spy thriller plot. Nothing at all is an issue with that. But a lot of the dialogue just does not really work. It's just a little bit too cheesy. So one example is when um, Fury's uh, with Viper and he sees um, Strucker frozen in the suspended animation. And he says, you know, he's a bit uglier than I remember. You're frozen popsicle. Get it, Andrea? Popsicle? Yeah. Like stuff like that. Or when he talks about um, blowing smoke up your hoo-ha or things like that. Yeah. Yeah. But... Again, I think that that's because he he read the comic books and he was trying to talk like Nick Fury. Yeah. Saying things that Nick Fury, you know, would say, come up with some kind of... Uh, I think he works too hard at trying to come up with, like, uh, these sarcastic kind of catchphrases. Yeah. And there's, and there's even at one point that Viper says, oh, what's the matter? You don't have nothing smart to say? She said, you always got something smart to say. You don't have mm-hmm. nothing smart to say. Where she's kissed him and she's infected him with the death's head. Yeah. Uh, you know, the virus. Yeah. But uh, what was I was going to cite as a, okay, there's a scene where Val and Nicholas will be having this little heart to heart about their past relationship that to me comes off as kind of forced. Mm-hmm. Well, Lisa you know, Rena in this, like, she's okay, but. She- she doesn't really fit the part. Like she's not really what I think of when I think of um, the Contessa. Well, yeah, she's not European enough. Well, not only that, but just like her—it's not not only her appearance, but I mean, just her her overall poise, like her the way she, the way she walks, the way she the way she speaks. Her character doesn't have that kind of like haughty arrogance that the Contessa had. Right. Yeah. She doesn't. Well, like I said, she uh, because I guess the Contessa is supposed to be, you know, some kind of royalty because she's mm-hmm. a Contessa. You know, right. She's supposed to be some kind of she's supposed to be some kind of blue blood. And yeah, Lisa Renner doesn't come off like that at all. She doesn't no. even even though even though I love her, I think she's gorgeous. I mean, she never looked hotter than she did back in this period oh, hell before no, she no. messed up. 
before she messed up her lips with the collagen and and the plastic mm. surgery and everything, which even now she admits was a big mistake that mm. she didn't have to do. You know, um, I think that if they were going to make her, um, I, okay, when I think of the contestant, I think of somebody like tall and elegant. Yeah, and and. As gorgeous as Lisa Ren is, she's not tall and elegant. Mm-hmm. You know, she's more like a street fighter, you know, scrappy type of, you know. Right. Yeah. Now, and, if I was to, you know what? Marina Baccarin. Yeah. She, exactly. she okay, would, that's so, right, that's, right. someone like that is who I picture when I think of the Contessa, especially right. her from Firefly. Right. See, um, she would have been better off. Lisa Renner would have been better off playing somebody like Kate Neville. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If she played Kate Neville, she was in it. But yeah, when you think of the Contessa. Or even Viper. Yeah. Yeah. Sandra Hess would have made a good contest. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's got that kind of haughty, she's got that kind of haughty, kind of arrogant type of attitude. I think Hess would have made it, would probably made that scene when they were having the heart to heart even more laughable. Yeah, probably it would have. But yeah, that scene to me, it comes off like kind of forced. Like they said, okay, well, you know something? We need to have a break in the action and we need to slow things down here for a minute. Yeah. And I and I kind of get the feeling that's that's the only reason why that scene is there. Yeah. Because, because okay, we've already gotten the notion that him and the Contessa, they've had a relationship and for whatever reason, it didn't work out and everything like that. We really don't need to stop the story dead in the water so that they can have their heart-to-heart moment. Mm-hmm. Or if you need to have it, they should have had it in the jump jet while they were going to confront, you know. Uh, Viper, when, yeah. Because I believe that right after that, they got to go and they got to rescue somebody, I think. Oh, that's Kate when Neville. Is that is that when they're going after Runciter? Right, yeah, Runciter, right, yeah. I knew it was one of those that was going at. But, but yeah, have that conversation. Because, see, I'm a big believer in that if you're going to have a conversation like that, mm-hmm. have it in a moving vehicle. Yeah, yeah, keep the story moving. Keep the story moving. Um, one of my examples I like to use is from the movie Silver Street, mm-hmm. where there's a part in the movie where Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder, they've stolen a red Jaguar because they got thrown off the train and they're rushing to Kansas City because they got to catch the train mm-hmm. in order to <clears throat> save the heroin from the bad guys. Mm-hmm. But while they're in the car going, they're having their heart-to-heart talk. Mm-hmm. But we still got something going on. Right. You know, there's action. They're in the car moving along while they're going to their confrontation. See, I'm a big believer in doing that type of stuff in an action movie. You can have these heart-to-heart things, but have it in a moving vehicle when the heroes are going someplace. Right, especially when you're going to have the scene when they're going someplace anyway. Exactly, exactly. So why not have them moving along there? Yeah, be more economical with your screen time. That that's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Be more economical with the street. Don't stop the story dead. After you've built up this momentum, don't stop the story dead because now you have to work at building back up that momentum now. Right. Now the the story of this movie, I think if you took this screenplay, if you touched up the dialogue and you did this as a big budget Nick Fury Agent of Shield movie, have Samuel L. Jackson play the character. 
I think people would have no problem with it whatsoever. Like story-wise, it's fine, but the, the big issue is just really the dialogue. I think it's a solid story. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm with you under. I have no problem with the story. It's a solid story with the Death's Head virus, <laughs> and they're gonna infect New York with it, and they got to get it from the frozen body of Baron Strucker. That's why she kidnapped the body. It, it's a solidly constructed story from start to finish. Yeah, I mean, th- there's no problem with that. Like you said, the only problems is the budget. Mm-hmm. I feel that if they had like just a couple of million more dollars with this movie, I don't know how much it costs, but if they had like just a couple of more million dollars, like yeah, two, it had, it had a three, four well, yeah, I mean, the budget was six million, so they 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 could have done a lot with just a few extra million. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But again, I gotta say that the lack of the budget budget also to me helps with the reality of it because okay we're not dealing with this wildly overblown hyper technological i mean no kind of organization that hydra is you know they're just as scruffy as shield is apparently you know right. they're having their, they're having their budgetary crisis as well mm-hmm. you know which i kind of like it i kind of like the grunginess of this movie it's mm-hmm. not polished you know, a lot of the action takes place in like abandoned buildings and warehouses and and stuff like that. There's there's a grunginess to this movie that gives it a level of reality. I feel right that you wouldn't get if they had you know like I don't know sixty million dollars and stuff like that. Then you'd have all these nice shiny sets and you know everything. There's there's a hands-on type of thing here. Like if, like I know there's one scene that's in the warehouse where a lot of the equipment that Hydra has looks jury rigged, mm-hmm. like stuff like you know, like they put together from, uh, I don't know, shit that they stole or found even, and yeah. you know they put this stuff together. And I don't know, for me it works. I like it. It mostly works. It, yeah. It, there's a lot of stuff. I think this movie has got kind of a bad reputation just because of the fact that it was a made-for-TV movie and it starred David Hasselhoff. I think a lot of people, because I've seen a lot of reviews looking back on this movie, and they're just absolutely brutal, and I think a lot of the reason is because they're going in with that preconception that, well, it's a low-budget TV movie, and it stars David Hasselhoff, so it's it's going to be a joke right from the start. Yeah, yeah, which is why I've been a champion of this movie for years. I've written a review of it, and I, anytime anybody asks me, well, you know, what movie should I see that Marvel made that, you know, a lot of people, I always tell them, first movie out of my mouth, Nick Fury, Agent S.H.I.E.L.D. And 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 just like you said, they look at me and they like, what? Really? Are you serious? I said, listen, just watch it. Mm-hmm. Trust me. Trust me, and I, like I said earlier, I am gratified that I have a lot of converts that have come back and told me, yeah, Dirk, you know something I got to admit? You were right. You know, yeah, it wasn't that bad. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but especially when you consider the time. I mean, this, I think this may have come out before Blade did even. So, yeah, it did. It came out before Blade. And And like I said, 90% 90% of the time, they play it perfectly straight in this movie. This is like a straight spy thriller. Yeah. yeah. You know, people get killed. Some of them in some pretty brutal ways. You know, no, you know, nobody's winking at the camera here and saying, oh, aren't we having a good time? You know, everybody plays it straight. 
Now, at the time when this came out, Marvel and Fox were doing were planning a bunch of different made-for-TV movies, and I think they they'd only ended up making two of them. They made this one, and they made Generation X. Now, Generation X was flat out terrible. It was god awful from start <laughs> to finish. But this was, I've never seen. I, I've never seen it, but everybody that has seen it, and, and I'm talking about diehard X-Men fans like you, have told me it's an abomination. Oh, God. <laughs> it makes X-Men Origins look decent. I like X-Men Origins. Well, we can we can fight about that another time. <laughs> you caught that, right, folks? <laughs> I knew you, you were going to say that, too. I knew you were going to say that. I no, I fell into it. You knew I was going to say it just because I knew you I was going to get that reaction yeah. from you. <laughs> oh, we're going to have so much fun when we talk about that. <laughs> oh. Oh, that gives me an idea for um, next week, next next episode's movie. So, oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, okay. um, get a grip, but, <laughs> but yeah, so Generation X, god awful piece of shit. But this one, not too bad. You know, it's pretty good, and I think. And Mar and they've been planning other ones. I think they had planned to do a She-Hulk one as well, and I think they planned a few other ones. But after Generation X, after Agent of Shield, they basically gave up on it because the the ratings were not very good on either one. And with no, Generation no. X, it it makes perfect sense. But with this, it's I wonder. I can't remember. If, I think Generation X came out before this. So, and I think that a lot of the, I think a lot of the negative. There was a lot of negative splashback on this, and so people kind of dismissed it and didn't even give it a chance just because of that. Also, Hasselhoff's reputation as being this kind of like cheesy B actor type of thing that also kind of hurt the film. But and it's too bad because Hasselhoff really commits to this role. He does a really good job here. I mean, listen, I tell people all the time: if for no other reason see this because, and I never thought I would say this, but yes, folks, I'm saying it. If you want to see this movie, see it for no other reason than for David Hasselhoff. Because, yeah, the guy commits to I mean, this role 100%. I think this is actually the first time I've seen Hasselhoff really act. Because most of the time, yeah. he doesn't really give much performance. He's just kind of like this this smiling, winky guy nodding at the camera and, like, hamming it up. But he he puts some effort into this. He falls back on his charm, yeah. which, which he has tons of. You mm -hmm. know, I will admit, yeah, the guy's got tons of charm. But, no, he reminds me of, really? Who? Don't laugh. He reminds me a lot of Burt Reynolds, in that Burt Reynolds could also act when he wanted to. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a actually was a really good point. But he was content most of the time to just fall back on his trunk and just be Burt Reynolds. Well, you know who else is like that is George Clooney. Yeah, bingo. Yeah, George Clooney too. I mean, George, George Clooney's Clooney got can... he's he's got charm coming out his ass, and but yeah, but you see him in something like Syriana or Michael Clayton, and you're like, the dude's got some chops. Yeah, he can act when he wants to act. Mm -hmm. He can act. The problem is that a lot of times he doesn't want to act. Right. He just kind of he does his George Clooney thing, and it's entertaining enough, so nobody minds. But because he he's got and he knows, but he's got yeah. the but he's got the talent to really do to really push the envelope if he wants to. Now Hasselhoff doesn't have that level of talent, but he can do more than what you'd expect of him. 
Exactly. Like you said, he actually acts in this movie. He yeah. doesn't fall back on, you know, being charming and everything, which he did in Knight Rider like a lot of times. Right. That's pretty much all it he was. Because most of the yeah. most of the heavy duty acting was lifted by um, William Daniels. Right. So, you know, you got but, William Daniels. There's no point in even trying to compete. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> You fall back in the truck. But there are some actors who can do that, like Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds coasted in a whole lot of his movies, mm-hmm. simply just some just being Burt Reynolds. Right. But if you but if you saw him in some other things where he was really called upon to stretch himself and stuff like that, Burt Reynolds could act. Like Boogie Nights. Yeah, oh, for example, the mm. man should have won the. The man got robbed that year. Yeah. If there was any movie Burt Reynolds should have won the Academy Award for, it was Boogie Nights because he Hell acted yeah. his ass off in that movie. Hell yeah. And he knows. He, and he knows he did. Mm. He knows he did. Know who else is another lazy actor? Nicholas Cage. Oh hell yeah. Nicholas Cage. You remember that period when Nicholas Cage just fell back on doing Elvis every time that he couldn't be bothered with doing any kind of characterization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He just fell back on doing Elvis. Yeah. But there was a period there, like in the in the late nineties, when Cage was doing some really good work. Like he yeah, he there's kind of a hint of the stuff he'd fall back into, um, but and he had that really god awful accent in Con Air. <laughs> but when I tell people when I tell people that at one time at one time Nicholas Cage was mentioned in the same breath with Robert De Niro, Marlon Brando. Oh yeah. James Dean mm-hmm. and people look at me like I'm crazy. I said, "Yeah, trust me, he was. He was at one time. He was like the heir apparent to the throne of America's greatest living actor, like Johnny Depp. Right? Johnny I mean, Depp at one time. I tell people, yeah, before the pirates thing, mm-hmm. forget about it. They no. call him the oh, next yeah. James Dean. Yeah, I mean, you the go back and you watch, um, you watch some of Depp's movies or Cage's movies. Like with Cage, I think the probably the best one I can think of off the top of my head is Adaptation." Bingo. Yeah, yeah, he was brilliant in that movie. And then you know, Depp, you, he had um, he had a bunch of other stuff going. He did um, the Ninth Gate was really good. Which I thought he had a really oh, strong performance yeah. in that, which is one of those movies that's kind of been forgotten to time. But it's you did a really good job in that flick. Oh man, that's a phenomenal movie. I always recommend that to people, mm-hmm. and I'm surprised that a lot of people have never heard of that movie. Yeah. I wonder how much of it has to do with just because that was the period of time when Johnny Depp wasn't really doing a whole lot of wasn't really making a whole lot of noise. And because there was this period of time, it was like a good like five, ten year period where people forgot Johnny Depp even existed. Yeah. And that's when he made this movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, And also, I wonder how much of it also has to do with the fact that it was Roman Polanski directing it. Because because this came this is this was after the the whole um, um, underage thing the the whole um, yes sexual assault thing I can't remember exactly what the details are but good point yeah you're right good point so I want I, I'm not sure how soon after this this happened but it may have been fresh enough that the studio kind of pushed this out under the radar. <laughs> And I think another reason why this movie, Nick Fury, really got pushed off to the side of everything like that, because I believe that after he did this, that's when Hasselhoff went and that's when he did the uh, show that he really became famous for, which was, of course, I mean, no, the Baywatch. Baywatch, I think, came out before this. Really? Yeah, Baywatch is in uh, was in 89. 
Yep, you're right. I'm looking at it now. Yeah, Baywatch was in 89. But that was the show that most people, when you talk about David Hasselhoff, nobody ever mentions Nick Fury. They either say Baywatch or Knight Rider. That's right. it. They don't, you know, they don't know him for anything else. You know, which to me, like I said, is is a shame because this is a movie that does not deserve to be forgotten, especially mm-hmm. not by Marvel fans. If you want to see a movie that is what I think is one of the best pre MCU movies that Marvel made. Yeah, this is right up there with Doctor Strange, you know, which mm-hmm. we've already talked about and right. you know, which I you know, which I also heartily endorse and I tell people that they should see it's not as bad as you think it is. You know, Nick Fury is right up there with it, you know. Mm-hmm. I would I would definitely tell people to watch the both of them. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to see superior examples of what Marvel was doing, you know, this of course the Incredible Hulk TV series, mm-hmm. you know, these you know, this was stuff that kind of, to me, laid the foundation for what we have now. Yeah, the tone is very similar. Um, even the stories are kind of similar. The, like, they just didn't have the budgets, really, to or the technology to really push them to what they could have been. But if you updated, like, Doctor Strange or Nick Fury, and you took those scripts, you took that those style of performances, and you gave put them in a MCU movie, nobody would know the difference. Oh, no, no. No, absolutely not. Yeah, because like you said, you know, the stories are solid. I mean, the story here in Nick Fury is, uh, again, no complaint with the story. It's solid from start to finish. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you think about it in some ways, it's not that different from some of the other plots you would see in an MCU movie. I mean, you think about the the first Captain America movie where it's all about the Red Skull with like this ultimate super weapon or even Winter Soldier. Right? I mean, it's still basically Alex Alexander Pierce with this ultimate super weapon. Yeah. There's a lot of other yeah. stuff in there too, but the, the basic the bare bones of the plot are pretty much not all that dissimilar. I mean th- I mean <clears throat> this is you're saying, okay, it's something that you would see in a James Bond movie. Yeah. Or even in a Nick Fury comic book. Everything. And it translates very well. And it translates very well because, like I said, I think because of A, we have those wonderful performances from the cast who plays it straight. And even with the, the lack of a budget, which to me shows how actors can step up and they can cover you know, mm-hmm. uh, they can transcend the limit of what the budget is that they have to work with. In fact, now that I think Do- about it, the plot of this movie, it's basically Mission Impossible 2. Oh, yeah, that was the one with the Chimera virus. Right, yeah. Yeah, oh, you know something? You're absolutely right. Yeah. Basic, almost exact same plot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this... It's not some out, ridiculously out there story that would never work in an MCU film. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, you know, like you said, you know what? If if they did take this script and did it with, say, Samuel L. Jackson, mm-hmm. who, who, which it kind of surprises me that we have not yet got a solo Nick Fury movie. 
Because I was always under the impression that Samuel L. Jackson had it in his contract that somewhere down the line he was going to get a solo Nick Fury movie. But if he was going to do one, he could do worse than to take this script and just do this one over again, just do a remake of this. Right, right. In fact, um, I believe when, because uh, the first time he appeared in Iron Man, that was just a cameo. He wasn't under contract for that or anything. But after that movie was successful, then they gave him like the biggest series contract in Hollywood history. And he was contracted something for like nine or ten films or something, some ridiculously high number at the time. Yeah, yeah, ten films. And um, I don't know if there was ever an idea that he would definitely, there would definitely be a Nick Fury movie. Um, but. I, I am kind of surprised that we haven't gotten one as well, but I think yeah. I think we might end up getting um, there. There's been rumors and there's been you know talk that there might be something on Disney Plus. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've heard, well, you know what? You've heard so many rumors about Disney Plus because I've heard that it's supposed to be She Hulk, Moon well, Knight. She Hulk is She Hulk and Moon Knight are confirmed. Oh, okay, those are definitely I know confirmed. that because I know that the Vision and Wanda. Yeah. That was confirmed. The that's Falcon confirmed. and Winter Soldier, that's confirmed. Mm -hmm. I know we would get. I, I know we're definitely getting those two. Yeah. And and me, I have a sneaking suspicion that we are going to see rebooted versions of Daredevil and Luke Cage and Jessica Jones. I think they have to wait a little bit before they can do that because yeah. I think there's a there's a contract issue with um, Netflix. So yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah, they have to wait. I think they have to wait like another two years or something like that. Right, something like that. Yeah, and then when that's done, because I think that, yeah, I think that we're going to see rebooted versions of those shows. Well, hopefully, know, we, get those, hopefully we get those same actors coming back. Well, definitely. Listen, the guy, listen, if you don't have the guy, what was his name? Charlie Cox? Charlie Cox, yeah. Yeah, if you don't get him back to play Daredevil, then I'm not watching it. You gotta I'm have sorry. Charlie Cox back as Daredevil. You gotta have Vincent D'Onofrio back as the Kingpin. Yeah, definitely. Those two are non-negotiable. If you don't have those two back, I ain't watching. Right. I'm sorry. And no, no, uh, as for the other, that you know, guy, John that guy Barenthal, Cox, he oh, played he, his ass. Yeah, off. yeah, he was perfect. Um, and the others, you know, John Barenthal as the Punisher, um, Kristen Ritter as. Um, uh, Jessica Jones, Mike Coulter as Luke Cage, Simone Missick as Misty Knight, and um, Jessica, oh, I'm blanking on her name, but, you know, the actress who played um, Colleen Wing. Bring all, those ones are preferable to bring them back as well. And then well, preferable to bring them back. Like, I, would, I, I wouldn't, it, it would suck if we had to lose them, but I wouldn't. It wouldn't be like a total deal breaker, like it would be with Cox and D'Onofrio. I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, listen. I'm and willing then Finn to go Jones. You know, we can. We don't. We don't really care about Finn Jones. You can. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, you know what? He should have never been cast in the first place. I don't blame him for the failure of Iron Fist. I blame whoever was in charge of casting, because what you should have did. If if you have a TV show and your main character is a master martial artist, mm -hmm. then that's who you hire to play the character. You go out and find yourself a master martial artist. Right. And you teach him how to act, hopefully. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't get an actor and then try to teach him martial arts. Yeah. You know, 
because I mean, although I will say that Jones did do pretty well when he appeared in um, the second season of Luke Cage. Which I still have yet to watch, believe it or not. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was much better in he was much better in season two of Luke Cage and season two of Iron Fist. He was much better, but the best was in when he appeared in Luke Cage. I haven't seen season two of Luke Cage yet. I haven't watched the last season of Jessica Jones. I haven't seen the Defenders yet. That's how far behind I am on everything. Have you seen the Punisher stuff? Uh, I saw the first season. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which, which you know, so I watch. Okay, I watch it because of John Bernthal because mm-hmm. I, because I, I had seen him like in other stuff and anything I've seen him in, I've always liked him. I, I watched him back when he was on The Walking Dead. Right. Yeah, I remember him from that as well. Yeah, I think that's matter of fact. I think that's where I first, and and he's been in like some movies and stuff like that. But he's like one of those actors I look forward to seeing him because he's always good. And I don't think that I would have watched The Punisher because I really don't care that much for The Punisher. That's right. You don't really like character. the character. Yeah, because I don't think he is much of a character. No, but he's not. But I will say this: in the Netflix series. They handle him the way that he should be handled because I never liked the Punisher in the comic book because mm-hmm. when he was by himself, okay, he was going around capping bad guys in the head and, you know, doing Punisher shit. Mm-hmm. But when you team him up with Captain America or Daredevil, now all of a sudden he's using rubber bullets. Yeah, yeah. He's tasing people, mm-hmm. you know. He's not bright. Listen, you can't have it both ways. Either the guy is, you know, he's a goody goody, mm-hmm. or he's a ruthless killer. He, right. He can't, you know, you can't have him when he's with Captain America. And then Captain America, you know, he says, "Well, if you're going to team up with me, you got to use rubber bullets." <laughs> you know. I mean, come on. Yeah. But the Netflix show, they handle him the way that he should be handled. So, yeah. Well, the Netflix show gives him a lot more dimension. <laughs> Because the comics, you know, more more than anything else, it Frank Castle is not really a character in the comics. He's just more of a force of nature. You know, kind of like how we talked about with the Joker. He's not really a character. He's just more of a force of nature. Yeah. It, it's more about, you know, what ha- it, it In some ways, it's uh, at least the, the Ennis stuff. It's more social commentary than anything else. But you can't really have a TV show like that. A character like that doesn't work in a, in a TV show. You got to have someone that you can root for, and so they had to give the Punisher more more depth. And they did a pretty good job of, you know, making it a kind of commentary on PTSD. I thought, mm-hmm. and it worked really well that way. And it gave it gave Frank a whole lot of dimension that he doesn't really have in the comics. All right. Now, what do you, what about the supporting cast in um, this film, Nick Fury? What what are, what are some of your thoughts on the the other? Because we talked about the Hoff, we talked about Lisa Rinna and Sandra Hess, but what about some of the other characters? Oh, uh, let me see. The guy, oh, Ron Canada, who played Gabe Jones. He really doesn't have much to do mm-hmm. in this, but apparently, unlike his comic book, um, unlike. His comic book counterpart, he's more of the technical guy. He's like Q. Right. Well, it says here that he was, his character was combined with Sidney Levine. Right, who was known as the gaffer. Right. 
in the con- and he was the guy that came. But in other words, he was Q. He came up with all kinds of gadgets, you know, for Nick Fury and stuff like that. He yeah. created the LMDs and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, so in this incarnation, Gabe Jones, that's who he is. He's and, not, which works for me, right? And um, you know, Ron Canada, he's one of those actors who's been in so many different things, and he's always entertaining to watch he's always he always does a good job like he was the he was the butler in wedding crashers who was probably the funniest character in the movie okay i've never seen that but i'll take your word for it oh it's a pretty good movie oh i mean it's you know it's you know it's a owen wilson vince vaughn comedy but it's got some good moments and it's got and i'll watch anything that has christopher walken oh okay but i like how rob canada when he, which just okay, which just goes to show you that an actor really doesn't have to do much to stand out. But every time he talks to Nick Fury, he always calls him Nicholas. Yeah, yeah, and he gives it kind of like a resonance as if he's talking to royalty almost. Right. When he said, just the way he says his name, he says, "Oh, Nicholas," mm-hmm. and he's got this resonance to the voice, which. Just doing that little bit makes his character stands out from everybody else. It's yeah. a little thing, yeah. But just goes to show you, if an actor knows what he's doing, he can make his character stand out mm. just by that little thing that he does. But I like how he, you know, he doesn't call him Nick like everybody else. He refers mm. to him as Nicholas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's and cute. Um, Gary Chalk else? as Dum uh, Dum Dugan. Yeah, he's good. Well, listen. We've already seen the perfect Dum Dum Dugan, the guy yeah. that was in the movie. But this guy, like I said, for this incarnation, he works good. Apparently, in this one, Dum Dum, he's like some kind of assistant director or something like that because right. he's running around in a suit and tie and he's giving orders. And yeah, you I was kind of disappointed when they said he was he was Dugan. I'm like, that's Dum Dum Dugan? What? Because I didn't know much about Shield, but I knew Dum Dum Dugan because you. You can't miss yeah. him with the he, with the mustache and the bowler hat. I mean, at least give him a mustache. Yeah, they don't. And as a matter of fact, I don't believe he actually calls him Dum Dum in this movie. He calls no. him by his full. He calls him by his full name, Timothy Aloysius. Yeah, he calls him Timothy Aloysius Dugan, and then he just calls him Dugan after that. Yeah, Dugan. Yeah, he never calls him Dum Dum, which is you know okay. Well, but again, you got to go with this. I mean this incarnation right. of the uh you no know, thing. The guy who played Arnim Zola, he didn't have much to do, but I liked him. Yeah, he was okay. I mean it, it, it's hard because you know, like with Dugan, it, it's tough because you've also now got the memory of um what's his name? Uh God, the guy who plays him in um uh First oh, Avenger. Oh yeah, I you Toby know what? Jones, I, got the guy I think. I think it's Toby Jones. Yeah, Toby Jones, right? Yeah, yeah. Toby Jones. That's who it is. Who's amazing? Yeah. So it, it's tough when you uh-huh. have when you're having the, that kind of comparison. Yeah, you have you have to kind of when you. Well, you know what? I used Earth One, Earth Two mm-hmm. theory whenever I watch movies that are not MCU. I say, mm-hmm. okay, well, those take place on Earth 2. Mm-hmm. Everything, all the other, you know, the Incredible Hulk 
TV series and all that kind of stuff. That takes place on Earth One. Right. Speaking of Earth One, Earth Two, I have to say that it was a brilliant notion, and people listening to this are getting pissed off about us because we keep getting <laughs> away from Nick Fury. But I can't help it. I thought it was brilliant the way in Crisis how they tied in that. All that all of the other DC TV shows or whatever, mm-hmm. they all existed. Yeah. That was you actually know. an idea that um, Grant Morrison and Mark Wade had way back in the day when they created uh, Hypertime. Because their whole idea uh-huh. was that it's all real. All of it, all of it is real. All the TV shows, all the movies, all the comic books, they all exist in this multi-time. And and that that's kind of the idea they came up with. And you know, at the time, DC editors said, no, that's bullshit. We're not using it. And now the TV shows are doing just that. Yeah, because when they had their first scene with Alexander Knox. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, Robert and he and he was on Earth 97 or 96, which, of course, was the year that the Batman movie came out. So that would have been 80, 89 then. Yeah, 89. And then we see Burt Ward. He's on Earth 66, yeah. which, of course, is when the Batman movie. <laughs> oh, was, but oh, you know what? Yeah. I got to say my favorite cameo. Bar none was um, Tom Ellis on Earth 666 as Lucifer. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know what? I never watched the show, but everybody I know said that that was their favorite. Yeah. Oh, you you, you got to check out the show. It's so much fun. It's not, um, it's nowhere near as, it's not like good or it's not, well, it's, it's, it's entertaining. It's not, but it's not like amazingly good or anything like that. Um, and like the whole, uh, some of the the whole idea of him being working with the police force is a little bit stretches credulity a little bit, but it's still it's worth it just for watching him and uh, DB Woodside and um, uh, the actress who plays uh, Maze, whose name I'm blanking on right now. It's worth it just for those three alone. But as I've been telling people, and I said, you know what? Whether, you know what, and I don't think that Crisis is really getting as much credit as it should because it's doing the exact same thing that the Avengers movie did. Right. You know, the end game. This mm-hmm. is this is this is in every way the equal of what they did because they did it in the same way that the MCU did. They took years to build up to this. Yeah. And they earned it. And they're going through the whole multiverse. And I really appreciate the fact that they are bringing all these actors and all these different TV shows. The only one they left out was, and I'm wondering if it has something to do because of the contract. I'm pretty sure it's got something to do with copyrights or contracts, something like that. They didn't bring in the Linda Carter Wonder Woman, you know. Yeah, I was kind of surprised that they didn't because she'd appeared on Supergirl already. So you'd think Right, yeah. (laughs) Right. So I was looking for a clip of, you know, because they did have a clip from the original Flash show. Right. They also had a clip from Titans. Yeah, from Titans, yeah. I was looking for Doom Patrol. I said, well, why why did they have Doom Patrol as well? You know, I think think part of it is because... They were when they were doing when they were filming Crisis. Titans was probably also being filmed at the same time, so they could very easily work that in. Um, uh, whereas Doom Patrol is not in production right now. Yeah. Same thing with Swamp Thing because Swamp Thing production was canceled. So, so I think that's probably why. So instead, they just said, "All right, you know what? We'll throw in Titans, and since all those are in the same universe anyway, it 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 gets it gives the it gives the feel to everybody." Right. And I guess, you know, you can just say in your own head, well, you know what? 
I'm sure that one of those Earths that got wiped out is, you know, Wonder Woman Earth. And <laughs> right. Well, also, I don't think you they know. had a, they didn't have a Gotham reference either, did they? The TV show, what? I mean, Gotham. No, they didn't. Yeah, nope, they did not. I was looking for that as well. So I wonder if that that one, I'm pretty sure, would be a rights thing. I'm pretty sure that would be a rights issue with Gotham. Yeah, because because Gotham was on Fox, right? Yeah, okay. And Lucifer has now is now owned by Netflix, so that was probably easier to swing because Netflix and CW they've got a good partnership because all the CW shows they go on Netflix like the day after the season ends. Right, the day after the show, which is usually how I watch it anyway. Like I don't watch anything when it's coming on like week by week. Yeah. But what I do is that I wait until the season is over. Yeah, like you said, like the next day or something like that. They've got the whole season that's up there. Mm-hmm. So then that's what I do. Then I say, okay, well, I'm going to binge watch the season yeah. and watch it then. So that's how I've been keeping up with it. I was but, going uh, to I was going to just at least watch all the shows leading up to Crisis this time, but I'd only really gotten to Flash. And I figured that was the most important since I the crisis stuff was basically spinning out a flash to begin with. But you know something? Let me say this, that I was surprised, even though, like, I've never seen Batwoman, mm. and I haven't, and uh, Legends of Tomorrow, I haven't kept up with that, but I found that I got into this whole crisis thing very easily. Yeah, I've, I've seen the, f- I saw the uh, the, pi- the Batwoman pilot, but that's all I've really seen of it so far. Um, Legends mm. hasn't had any new episodes yet. Their, their new season doesn't start until after Crisis. Right. So, um, so if you saw last season of Legends, then you're all caught up on that. No, I didn't see last oh, okay. season, but, but I'm saying that <clears throat> I really didn't have a problem with, you know, I was surprised at how accessible it was, in yeah. other words. You know, like, I don't think that anybody, because I know I've had people that have been asking, well, you know, I haven't watched Arrow since season whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm scared I'm going to be lost. So I said, no, you know what? Don't worry about it. You're not going to get lost. Well, even I mean, even with think- how much Flash had led up to it, I think you could have still watched Crisis without watching any of Flash this season. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they make enough references to things that happened in the past so that you could say, okay, you could fill in the gaps. Right. The only thing that I was I didn't really get was the the stuff with Lena Luther and um, also the um, the black chick who has um, I don't know I guess she's Jimmy Olsen's sister or something like that. She because she has the Guardian Shield. Oh yeah. Like yeah. th- those are the only because yeah. I haven't seen any of Supergirl this season, so those things right. were the only things yeah. I didn't really know much about, but. They gave me an, enough to where well in the case of the 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 new guardian or whatever her name is it didn't really matter too much yeah because nah, she did it's you know. just that one it's basically just that one scene um, the Lena stuff they had done they had done a decent job of kind of filling in the gap so I wasn't that lost with that and like I said earlier that is one of the things I love about I mean you know now technology and that nothing is lost so that you know what you can always go on Netflix and go back and watch Supergirl or watch whatever mm-hmm. and say okay well I miss who this is and who that is and you can go back and watch some episodes and get caught up and say okay now I know who this is right right yeah so it's really not a thing whereas you know you will be totally lost. Or, or know what? You would just go on Wikipedia and Wikipedia the character and see who, you know. Yeah. You know, Google it. And, and 
So, uh, yeah, so it really wasn't that we should probably save this. <laughs> what we do. I, I, yeah, it just hit me that we said we was going to do a crisis episode. So we better hold on. To, <laughs> better save this. All right. But you people are getting you people. Listen, I don't hear nothing out of y'all guys. <laughs> y'all got a whole lot in this episode. I don't mm-hmm. care what you say. You got a whole lot. I wish I was listening to. This. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so the, the the last two characters I wanted to touch on were um, first you had a uh, Strucker come out at the end. Campbell Lane plays him, apparently. Yeah. And I don't know. Like, I know he's just in one scene, so it doesn't really matter, but that guy just, it didn't feel like Strucker to me. It didn't feel, like, it looked kind of cheesy with the little bow tie and everything. Well, he looked like a dried up old man. Instead yeah. of, uh, instead of, you know who it should have been? It should have been Christopher Lee. Oh, that would have been amazing. Yeah, that's who, you know, when we finally see him in all his glory and he's been resurrected, that should have been Christopher, somebody like Christopher Lee with that kind of status. Although, if they had then done a TV show and you had Christopher Lee acting up against the Hoff, <laughs> it would not have looked too good for, for Hasselhoff. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that when you we finally see Baron Strucker, now this is the guy, mind you, that took Nick Fury's eye because he had a scene there that says, yeah, well, he took my eye and, you know, they've been mortal enemies all of these times, you know, for all of these years or whatever. And when we finally see him resurrected, mm-hmm. we should have a sense of, oh, shit, Nick right. Fury's going to be in trouble now. But when we see this guy, it's like, Oh, please. Him and his horny daughter. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Creeping you know, on her it, bow tie wearing decrepit old dad. Yeah, exactly. He looks like a decrepit old man. He doesn't yeah. look like a towering figure of evil that he should be. We should have the feeling that, okay, well, Nick Fury is really in trouble now because this guy's back. No, he's the Crypt Keeper's grandfather. Yeah, you know, we don't get that. So yeah. it's kind of like a letdown. I understand this is just the lead into what they hoped was going to be the series, mm-hmm. but... To my mind, if I had been directing it, I would have played the scene as if we were never going to get a series. But you should have a feeling of dread that this guy came back. Right. Absolutely. You know, it shouldn't have just, it shouldn't have been left at that. You know, mm. or I don't. Yeah, because I don't know. Yeah, he just looked like some decrepit old man. He didn't look like a tower mastermind of evil mm-hmm. that the world fears, which is what he should have been. And then the other guy I wanted to mention was, well, there's also Kate Neville, who's played by Tracy Waterhouse, and she's good. You know, she, there's nothing really too special about her one way or the other, but she does a decent job. But the the character I really, really kind of liked in this is Neil Roberts as Pierce. Oh, yeah. I mean, he yeah, has a he... lot of fun to watch. Well, he's the young, eager guy that, you know, wants to show... The... As a matter of fact... Know who his character actually was? Clay Quartermain. Oh, really? Well, well, I'm talking about the way that his character was eager to show what he could do, and uh-huh. you know, he and he was like in kind of in awe of Nick Fury and everything like that. Well, in the comic books, that's kind of like how Clay was, how oh, Clay okay. Quartermain. Because I do remember when yeah, this but, came out, people on message boards they were they were praising Neil Roberts, and they were saying, "Oh, he's perfect as Pierce." But I don't, I didn't really know much about Pierce in the comics, so I don't didn't really have any sort of frame of reference. But it's good but it's good to have a character like that the kind because you need to have a character like that that people can explain stuff to and yeah. and and thereby explain us to the audience. Right. 
It's like when me and my wife would, li- you know, we like to listen to radio programs in the car, you know, when we're running our errands and we listen to old time radio shows. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my wife was asking me one day, he says, oh, well, how come, you know, the detectives, they always have, you know, like a girlfriend or, you know, somebody that, mm-hmm. you know, but they're not really a girlfriend. You know, they just there. I said, oh, that's somebody that the hero can explain things to. Yeah. Yeah. It's a way, <laughs> way it's a point of view character so that the audience can. Yeah. Can have stuff explained, spelled out yeah. for them. Yeah. I said, that's all it is. And that's what um, Alexander Pierce is. But he's a useful point of view character because mm-hmm. when we first meet him, you know, uh, Nick Fury beats him up. But, you know, but then he but then uh, he introduced himself and he says, oh, I, oh, I've been dreaming of this. You're a legend, everything mm-hmm. like that. Then they have a little comedy bit that's on the elevator. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so we get like nice little humorous moments. Thanks mm-hmm. to Pierce. Now, I'm but not sure. Also- Do you know much about Pierce in the comics? Because I don't think he was really in the Steranko run. I think he came later. No, he wasn't in the Steranko run. He came later on. Okay. Uh, so, what? Do you know much about him? I'm not sure how much how familiar you are with the later stuff. Nah, I'm not. All, I'm not all that familiar with him. Okay. Like I said, in this movie, most of his characteristics really came from the Clay Quartermain character in the comic books. But since Clay wasn't around mm-hmm. in the movie. Now we're talking. Remember, we we're talking about the differences between these the the MCU interpretations of these characters. I think probably the biggest one is Pierce because he's a completely different character in um, the Winter Soldier when he's played by Robert Redford. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, there's absolutely no comparison. I, I mean, they're two different. Char- I think that in the comic books he does end up being a bad guy. No, I think he's <clears throat> he's I, he's. Um, he was an undercover Shield agent for working in Hydra, but I think he was oh, working okay. for Shield the whole time. Okay, because I seem to remember dimly somewhere. I think it was in a a graphic novel. He gets turned into a cyborg or something like that. Yeah, there was something like that. It was in one of the one of the Shield uh, collections. Um, yeah. I, I vaguely have some memory of reading something like that like think, about a year or two ago. I think, what was his name? The guy, um, what's the artist's name? He did the New Mutants, Bill Sankovich. Bill, Bill Sankovich? <clears throat> yeah, I think it was, I, I think it was one of those Shield graphic, because he, he did a couple of Shield graphic novels. Right, right. Yeah, there was one. Oh, Electra. Oh, Electra. Well, he did Electra, but that was, um, I think that was a different character. That was, um, What's his name? The guy that was that appeared in Agents of Shield. Uh, okay. He he turned out to be he was he was Hydra in the TV series. Okay. All right. But but yeah but um it is it's just kind of funny to watch these looking back on this movie after seeing Redford play Pierce as this like hardcore Hydra agent and then go back and watching him played as like this this rookie. British agent working for Shield. It was just kind of a funny uh, <laughs> difference between them. I know it was kind of like a jarring thing. Yeah, thing, but yeah. yeah it's just, wait, a minute, wait a minute. So you mean to say that he grew up in the <laughs> he grew up in the Robin Redford and stole the Shield? <laughs> oh man, that's such a great movie. Mm. But yeah. Um, I think we well, what little we talked about this movie. I think we pretty well, much. We, <laughs> we got, listen. We got some in, but we got sidetracked by all the stuff. But I don't think anybody will mind. Yeah, yeah. 
right. because at least it was at least it was meaningful diversion mm-hmm. and digression. <laughs> okay, so now next movie. Um, okay, it's your, it's your turn. Make it good. <laughs> I am going to make it good. Uh, what is the one superhero that you hate the most? Oh, Deadpool. That's what we're going to watch next. (laughs) And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. It's not because I want to piss you off, but it's because um, that movie is almost universally beloved. But you, as someone who who doesn't like Deadpool, I think it would be interesting to have some other perspective on it. Hey, you know what? You know what? It's not even that I hate Deadpool. Mm -hmm. It's just that I don't get him. I don't. I, I, I I don't understand why the character is supposed to be so funny. I, mm-hmm. you know, I, and I, and and as a matter of fact, I've seen the movie twice, the first one, mm. and uh, I just recently watched the sequel. Okay. You know, I said, ah, well, let me watch it. You know, I was home. It came on TV. I didn't have anything to do. I had a couple of hours to kill. I said, you know, well, let me watch it. You know, mm. and let me put it this way: I laugh at the second one. Oh, okay. For reasons for reasons that had nothing to do with Deadpool, but I laughed at the second one. But the first one, I, I it's not that I hate the character; it's just that I don't get him. Mm-hmm. But but I am more willing to watch it again and come back and discuss it with you, my friend. All right, sounds good. So uh, next episode, we're going to be watching Deadpool. Um, any final thoughts? Anything to anything you got coming out soon? Uh, I hopefully this month I should be having. Um, matter of fact, after I get finished with you, I got to contact Tommy Hancock and see if the Dylan annual for uh, the the official title is Dylan Annual Collection 2019 mm-hmm. will be coming out. He he told me, excuse me, folks. He told me last month it was going to be coming out this month because since all the stories that are in that volume, they're all Dylan stories and they're all Christmas stories. Oh, okay. So that's why he said he was going to hold it for this month to come out. So I have to contact him and find out exactly. So be on the lookout for that. If you haven't got your copy of Dylan, the odd jobs yet, please go ahead and get yourself a copy of that one. Uh, you either paperback or Kindle. Uh, what else can I plug while I got, while I have the floor? Of course, uh, you can always go to the Ferguson Theater where I have my movie reviews up, including a review of uh, this movie, Nick Fury, mm. Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. You can either go to the side, you can go to our Facebook group, Superhero Cinephiles. I'll put a link up there. Yeah, and you can see that. Um, what else? Uh, there's Ferguson Inc., where it's a whole bunch of other stuff on there that I have. Uh, I've got book reviews up there. I've got interviews with various writers, including my esteemed co-hosts. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Yeah, that's about it. Uh, hopefully, next year. Um, I just did a story for uh, Airship 27, the fourth volume of uh, Bass Reeves Frontier Marshal. Okay. So that should be coming out, you know, because Ron puts them out usually pretty quick. You know, once he has all the stories, they come out pretty quick. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so that should be out pretty soon. And I'll keep y'all folks surprised or whatever, you know, and I'm on Facebook and, you know, you can keep abreast of what I'm doing there. You know, I'm pretty vocal about letting people know what I'm doing. I'm not shy. <laughs> believe me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, on my side, I don't really have anything. I got a new book coming out, but it's not out yet, so I'm not ready to announce it because it depends on how long it takes to get it edited and everything. Hopefully by right. next episode, I'll... I have a better idea or it'll already be out. Um, I think this might actually end up being our last episode of the year when I'm looking at the calendar. Yeah, because, well, today's the 14th and this is going to be out. This, this is going to be coming out on the 16th. So I don't know. I guess we could probably get enough, if you're able to uh, next week's Christmas. So I'm not sure if you'd be able to, to record or anything. So we might be able to get another one out before the end of the year. Um, if we go well, the- well, I'm looking at my calendar now. Christmas is Wednesday on the 25th. If you want to record on the 27th, which is a Friday, and then oh, yeah, we I could, could do I could do then. that. I could do that. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, we could Deadpool episode then on okay. the 27th Perfect. of December. All right, that works out perfectly. So we'll save the the holiday greetings and everything for that episode. All right. Um, other than that, though, the other thing is my other podcast, Japan on Film. Um, been having some go uh, some guest hosts coming on lately. Uh, we just had the latest episode where um, we talk about uh, the Ring both the the original and the remake and the next episode which will be coming out next week is going to be about 13 assassins and i just recorded yeah yeah so that was a fun episode to do and then i just recorded another episode about perfect blue and that one will be dropping in january so you get on over to japanonfilm.com and you can check all those out and yeah it's been interesting um because we had you come on to talk about Magnificent Seven, Seven Samurai. So it's been a lot of fun to have some other voices besides just mine talking about these movies. Yeah, I really want to listen to that one. I haven't heard the one about the ring yet. I really want to listen because I've never seen that movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, and believe it or not, I believe it or not, I've got the damn thing on DVD, but <laughs> I've never seen the movie, so I haven't. So when I saw you did the episode about that, I said, "Oh shit!" I said, "I really want to listen to that. Maybe I listen to that. That'll make me want to see the movie because it was a big deal at one time. The ring, yeah, yeah, it was huge. It started the whole yeah. the whole trend of America remaking Japanese horror, not just Japanese, but and, Asian horror movies in general. Yeah, Asian horror movies. Yeah, yeah. And we, still, a whole trend. and we still got to get you get got to get you to come back on at some point to talk about the Japanese remake of Unforgiven. Oh, okay, yeah, I haven't seen that yet. You gave me a link to it or something like that, or you told me the name of it. Yeah, yeah, we talked about it when we were talking about the when we did the Seven Samurai episode. So right. I, I'll send you an email and uh, we'll try and see if we can get you a copy of that. Okay, yeah, no problem. Cool. All right. Okay. All right, so uh, that's all for us. Head on over to Superhero Cinephiles on Facebook. We got the Facebook page, Facebook group. Uh, join in. Join in the conversation. Um, we've also got a Patreon page, and we've got our first patron, who's um, Lucas Garrett, um, one of the friends of the show, who's also part oh, of... He- Lucas is such a terrific guy. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, folks, this, this guy... When I say he's one of the best friends that I've never met, he's like Perry and a bunch of other people that 
he's a person that when he supports you, he supports you 100 percent. Yeah. So he's he's our first supporter so far. Um, so join in uh, if you go to pa- patreon.com slash super cinema pod. And the link's also on our website. Uh, you can donate um for as little whatever you want uh, as little as one dollar a month every little bit you help help toss in helps us to continue to pay for the hosting for the website and and the show and for the software that i need to record the show you can do without that starbucks for one day yeah <laughs> and it's cheaper <laughs> than a cup of starbucks coffee so yeah yeah so um yeah, uh, come on over, join in the conversation, super, superherocinephiles.com, and we will see you next time. Okay. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Perry. Thank you, Good Derek. Night. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. If you have any questions or comments about this or any other episode, or if you have a superhero movie or TV show you'd like us to cover in a future episode, you can email us at superherocinephiles at gmail.com, or you can also visit us on the web at superherocinephiles.com. If you like what you hear, leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Each review helps us reach more potential listeners. You can also support the show by renting or purchasing the movies discussed or by picking up our books, all of which can be accessed through the website, as well as find links to our social media presences. The theme music for this show is a shortened version of Superhero Showdown, a royalty-free piece of music courtesy of FezleonStudios.com.